0: Hey, during my uh, freshman year in high school, I ran track, and at the end of the track season, the track coach was also the cross-country coach, and he said, I want you to uh, try out for the cross-country team, and our cross-country team was the best sports team that was in our high school, and they had gone to semi-state or state almost every single year, but to be honest, I had only ever run uh, one mile before in my life. I'd never ran any more than a mile, and so I wasn't real excited about running cross-country, which is 3.1 miles, and you have to go up and over hills, and it just looked like a lot of pain that I did not want to experience. But the coach was, like, really persistent, and in my mind I thought, well, I could earn a letter in cross-country for the cross-country team. And that was my motivation. So I decided that I would do it. Now, little did I know that when you begin uh, on the cross-country team, that you don't get the summer off. You start running about mid-summer. And you run uh, uh, very, very early in the morning because it's so hot. And so at seven in the morning was our practice. And I didn't like 7 o'clock in the morning when I was 15 because I needed my beauty rest. Because I was the latest man. And I had to look good, but it didn't matter. You had to be there at 7. And so I remember my uh, parents dropped me off at the high school. I walk up, and there's a whole group of guys, and they're all stretching, but no one's talking to each other. They're real, real serious with one another. And I walk up, and there's no fun, it looks like. Like, this is a no-fun group. And about that time, uh, Sean Casey, who was the team captain, walked over and was going to greet me, I thought. And he walked up, and he put his finger in my face, and he goes, Why are you here? I'm like, Ah, that must have been the welcome team, I guess, you know? And I was like, Well, uh, Coach McCord asked me to come and try. He's like, No, 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 no. Why are you here? And I was like, dude, if you don't get your finger out of my face, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong, you know? Now, if you weren't raised in the 80s, you have nothing to understand about Donkey Kong. But if you want to Google it, you can. Okay. But he was really, really persistent, too. He's like, you tell me, why are you here? Because this is what I know. If you don't know why you're here, you will not come back tomorrow. And so I stood there, and I was like, well, I'm here because I want to earn a letter for the letter sweater. Exactly. And that's what they did. They all started laughing at me. The coaches laughing at me. They're all, like, laughing at me in the midst of that. Well, that particular day, they drove us out in a van seven miles away, and the coach basically said, find your way home. And we had to run seven miles. I'd never run anything more than a mile in my life. And as I'm running, I'm thinking, give up, quit, call mom, do anything, you know, just don't. And Sean Casey, though, he ran right beside me the whole time. He's like, you can do it, man. You can do it. We train for fame. We train for fame. And I made it back. And the next day I made it. And then we made it to the semi state. And I've got some artifact right here to uh, show to you the letter sweater. You want to see if uh, it still fits? Now, earlier, my shirt went up in the first celebration, so they told me, tuck it in, dude. No one wants this. You're not 15 anymore. You don't look like that. So, all right, let's see if... All right. I might wear this the rest of the time. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm now we're now we're back. Okay. It's kind of hard to follow that, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs>
0: All right. So this is the thing that I found out about cross country. Cross country tries to train you to be strong in running. But it's not just your body. You gotta be really strong in your mind. Because anyone who has ever run distance before knows that there's going to be a time when you're in the race in which you want to give up. Your body can't do anything more. And you need a strong mind to get you through that. So cross country was not just about the physical part of running, but it was about being strong in your mind, being strong, I would even say, in your spirit, because that's what the essence of it is. And so when Sean Casey came up to me and he put his finger in my face and he goes, why are you here? He wanted to know, are you going to stick it out? Are you going to get stronger every time? No pain, no gain. Will you get stronger? We train for fame. We want you to get stronger, Chris. We want to have you strengthened at the core of your being so you can be the best runner you can be. Folks, this whole new year, we've been talking about getting stronger. How do we get stronger? In week one, we talked about how do we get stronger in our faith? How do we get stronger in our character? How do we get stronger in love? How do we get stronger in self-control? And today, what I want to talk to you about is how do we get stronger in belief? Because before we leave today, I want every single person here to understand What is at the heart of Christianity? And that we would all leave agreeing on that point. This past Thursday was the National Prayer Breakfast. President Trump and Congress members and world leaders all came together around one particular focus of prayer. There were about 3,000 people that were a part of this. Now... The breakfast, ironically, is always co chaired by one Republican and one Democrat. This year, it was Senator Chris Coons, who's a Democrat from Delaware, and Senator John Boozman, who's a Republican from Arkansas. The reality is, folks, these two guys disagree on almost everything you could imagine when it comes to politics. And you might think that there is no way that these two guys would ever sit down and actually pray about something. But what's interesting is that both of them didn't just organize the breakfast. You know, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, okay, we got uh, 100 senators, we're going to check off. Hey, it's your day to do the breakfast. Let's do it. Okay. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. These two guys... I read a story about them this week that they actually meet together every single week for one hour along with some other senators, and they pray. They talk about their faith. They share about their family. They share about their journeys. And at least for one hour a week, they put the political issues aside, the partisan politics aside, and what do they do? They focus on prayer. Now, when I first read this article, I was like, this is weird because I'm a, a person who watches a lot of different things. And so these guys are not like even close to each other on most political things. I mean, I would never in my wildest imagine thought that they would get together to pray. I mean, folks, how is this possible? How is it? That there are some things that we find that unite us, but there are many things that are quite different. And so, today, this is what I want to tackle. Now, all of of this, this concept that I'm talking about, it all centers around one word. And that is the word belief. Belief. And it's fascinating for me to hear people use that word in very different ways. I mean, it's like all over the spectrum when it comes to this word belief. People have many different thoughts on that. For example, a person can say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. And I hope that some of you, by the end of today, some of you would make that decision. And I'd be like, yes! And other people are like, well, I believe that if you're a Christ follower, you should do everything you can to work at eradicating human trafficking. And I'd be like, yes! I think that's a great thing. Someone not too long ago came up to me and said, I believe that Coach Pagano and Grigson should be fired from the Colts. One out of two ain't bad, you know? One out of two ain't bad. I heard somebody recently that came up to me and said, I believe that Vanessa is going to win The Bachelor. Do any of you believe that Vanessa is going to win The Bachelor? Like some of you right now are like, I don't watch The Bachelor. Liar. So I keep hearing this word, though. People use belief. And every time they use that word, they're passionate about whatever it is that they believe, wherever it's at. So for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want to take this word belief, and I want to look at three synonyms that I think are central to understanding what the Christian faith really is about. Now, the first word is similar. It's a synonym to belief, and the word is essentials. And you can write that in your program, or you can put it on your app. But the first word is essentials. And when I say essentials, I am talking about matters of first importance. Like, what is most important? Now, if you're a Christ follower, I have a feeling that, Some of you have some things that you would say, these are matters of what is most important, what is of first importance. And maybe you have two things, or maybe you have three things, or maybe you have four things that you're like, these things are matters of first importance. But also, when we talk about belief, we talk about a second concept, and that is convictions. And we think of this word of convictions, we are literally talking about the strong belief that we hold. That there is Something that is essential and is a strong belief for me. It's different than essential, but it's a conviction. It's something that we believe strongly. People will say things like this. I believe that if you're a Christ follower, you should do something to eradicate human trafficking. Or I believe that if you're a Christ follower, you should sponsor at least one child From an underserved area to be able to care for them, whether it's in the U.S. or it's across the globe. And a conviction typically happens because someone picks up this book, they read it, they have an interpretation of what that is, and then they will have a a wiring of who they are and their experiences. Maybe they had some pain, some hurt, some kind of experience in their life that makes them have a conviction towards something, and they have a strong belief. In whatever that is. Now the the last word is a synonym called preferences, and you can fill that in. It's preferences. This is where we give an advantage of one thing over another, an advantage of one thing over another. It's like if you ever play tennis before, or you've watched tennis, you'll find that eventually they get to a tie, and it's. Called Deuce. And then whoever uh, gets that next point, they'll say advantage, whoever that is. Like Chris Bunch, advantage over Derek Young in tennis. I would kill that guy in tennis. I mean, I'd make him, he's got all these little muscles that he thinks, I mean, I'd just kill him. All right, I digress. So let's go uh, a little bit further. But we all have convictions. We all have preferences. We all have essentials. So what are the things, then, that really hold us together? And what I want us to look at is this concept of essentials. What is of most importance? And the way we're going to do that is we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture, actually a whole letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians. Now, Corinth was kind of like Las Vegas. Whatever happens in Vegas, what? Yeah, stays in Vegas. And Corinth was just filled with all kinds of stuff. And uh, Corinth is in present-day Greece, and people were worshiping idols. They were worshiping pagan gods, and they would sacrifice food to that. And so this is a group that he's writing to, but there's also a group of Jewish folks who have had one God and have honored the one true God in the midst of that, and they have come to Christ. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul lays out what is the essentials. Convictions and preferences, and he walks through it. And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says this. For no one can lay any, what's it say? Any foundation other than the one already laid, which is who? Jesus Jesus Christ. For Paul, Jesus Christ is the foundation. Now, I have several friends of mine who are Builders. They build different things. They build houses. They build uh, schools. They build other businesses. But in the Christian faith, the thing is, what do you do with a foundation? And what I've learned from all my friends that build is that the most important thing before you build anything is that you go and you level the land and you make sure that the foundation is laid properly. And Jesus Christ is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And the convictions are kind of like the framework of the house. And so, if the essential thing is Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, that's it. Then our convictions become the frame of the house. And then the preferences become do I want a ranch style house? Do I want a two story house? Do I want curtains in the house? You know, what do I want? Those are our preferences. And so every single person here has the essentials and convictions and preferences. And it goes on in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, And let's look at just some of the preferences. These are just preferences that Paul gives to us that the Corinthian church was wrestling with. He says this, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, Chloe was just a leader in the church, have informed me, that there are quarrels among you, there are some disputes that are taking place within this church. And the text goes on. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Peter. And another says, I follow Christ. And so what's happening in this church, it's that there's this division that started to take place because people are... Looking to only one particular teacher or one leader that they think should be the one that they should follow. So some would say, Well, what I want is the apostle, the leader, the person who formed and founded the whole church. That's who I'm going to follow. Others will say, No, 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 no. Remember Peter? Man, that dude was powerful. He stood up on Pentecost. He taught. And 3,000 people came to Christ in that moment. I'm following Peter. And others are like, no, 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 no. I'm following Apollos. He's such a good communicator. Apollos was like Joel Olstein of our day. I mean, that guy could just communicate in such a way. And everyone felt great. And there was this wonderful feeling. And finally, Paul's like, he's hearing all this. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you understand that these are just preferences? They're just preferences. And every one of us in this gym today, we bring preferences to the table. Now, in 1 Corinthians 6, what you find is that Paul begins to start talking about convictions. And he speaks particularly about lawsuits. It's like, what's going on? in this church. He's like, you guys are suing each other like you're Christ followers, but you're actually suing one another. You're going to bring a judge to make a decision on two Christ followers. That's what you're going to do. And there's going to be a jury of people That's going to make a decision by a judge who may not follow Christ. And now a jury is going to make a decision based upon something that's not connected with this. And Paul's looking at them and he's like, you can't go and find someone to deal with this problem on your own. What's the problem? And look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 5 and 6. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers. And for Paul, this was a conviction. It's like, guys, if you're going to have an issue, settle it among yourselves. Don't don't take it to court. This is my conviction. It's not right. And this is the thing, folks. If you go through 1 Corinthians, what you'll find is chapter after chapter, verse after verse, there are Convictions. There are preferences all over the place. But he finally gets to the end of his letter. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he finally says, But this is what is essential. This is the most essential. And starting in verse 1, he says this Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Gospel is just a word that means good news, the good news of Jesus. I preach to you what you received. And on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of... What's it say? What is it? Of first importance. Paul is saying... That everything that I have shared in these pages so far are preferences and convictions. They are not of first importance. So, what Paul's going to do now is he's going to actually take the essentials of what is most important why he started the church, why he gave his life to Christ and started them. And it's this that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And Jesus goes on and he appears to the apostles, and then he goes and he appears to 500 people, and then finally he appears to Paul walking down a road one day. And Paul's saying, you know what the essential is? You want to know what is of first importance, what is of most importance? It's that Jesus died. And if Jesus died, it meant that he had to be alive at one point. And God sent his one and only son to walk planet earth. Why? So that he could understand everything that you and I go through on a regular basis. And he would understand our pains, our hurts, our highs, our lows, all of it. And to show people that there is a walk that you can make, that you can have access with God, with the Father. Jesus taught people about the kingdom of God and how they could have access To the Father. And he did it to the point that he died. He walked enough in the world and he made so much change that he eventually died. And when he died on a cross, he didn't die for himself. See, ironic thing about Jesus, he didn't do anything for Himself. He did it all for you and the person beside you. He died for each one of us. And what did He die for? All of your sins. Every time you mess up, every time you make a mistake, every time you have a bad attitude, every time you're angry about something. He died for all of those things. He died for the skeletons in the closet. You know the things that no one else knows but you? But you know what those are. And Jesus said, I'll die even for that. And then he died on the cross. The only thing is, he didn't just stay on the cross. Scripture tells us that they took him off the cross and they put him in a tomb. He's buried for three days. But three days later, Easter happened. Have you ever been to a funeral and someone, like, starts crawling out? You know what I mean? They all say, 100%. Jesus, though, he walks out of the tomb. And he's a, he appears first to the apostles, and then to 500 people, and then to Paul. And he appears to all of these people. And then finally, he ascends back to heaven to be with the Father. And that's the essential, folks. For Paul, the big idea of the Christian faith, the essential thing about the Christian faith is this. That Jesus died. That Jesus was actually buried. That Jesus rose, and that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. That's what Jesus did. That's our fill in the blank for our next kind of thing. Or or did I forget something here? I don't think so. But here's the thing. For many of us, we read this scripture or we read this big idea That is all about 1 Corinthians 15. We read this big idea, and this is what we say. That's true, Chris. That is very true. I believe in that, but... I should give all of you a butt-buster. I guess I could have multiple uh, thoughts. I believe in that, but... I have this one conviction. I have this one preference that we need to add it to what is up on the screen. We need to add something. We've just got to add to this. And then you know what happens? The preferences and the convictions become what? The essentials. And here's what happens then. People begin to start having a faith that says, it's Jesus plus fill-in-the-blank. It's Jesus plus something else. Now, let me ask you this. Every time you do Jesus plus something, what gets diminished? Who is it? Yeah. Every time you add to Jesus, Jesus gets diminished. Folks, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. The essentials are what we will stand on. This is who we are as a church. This is what we are all about. It is about Jesus. But people will come up to me all the time and they'll say, Well, Chris, though, don't you care about convictions? Don't you care about preferences? Absolutely, of course I do. They're important. But if I'm going to make a big deal about something, I'm going to make a big deal about Jesus. I'm making a big deal about Jesus and only Jesus. My conviction cannot save me from my sin. My preferences cannot redeem me to where I can get to heaven. Only the essentials. It is the essentials that Jesus died for you and me, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again, and that Jesus appeared is the essence of the Christian faith. It's not about who teaches, it's not about who leads worship, it's not about how we vote. All these things are important. We should do all of those things to celebrate those things. But that is not the most essential thing. All of these things are important. But if I have to decide on what is most important to us, is that we need to be a, a people who are solely wrapped up in the one and only God of the universe, of Jesus himself. That's who we are. That's what we will be. Now, I'm not so naive to think that there aren't a lot of preferences and convictions that people have in this place. We do. We all have them, every single person. So, how do we actually get along then? How do we have lives that are based upon the essentials, even though we may have different preferences or convictions. How how do we actually get along with someone who votes differently than we do? I was talking to a friend of mine who I very much value, and she was talking about how people had defriended her because of things that had happened on Facebook. That's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And the sad thing was that some of these people were Christ followers. Folks, if you're about the essentials, you can get along with anyone of any political thing. It really doesn't matter. Because for you, ultimately, it's not even about that. I mean, we all have convictions. We all have preferences. That's fine. But you know what the most important thing is? The essential. The foundation of Jesus Christ himself. How do we handle that? How do we handle it though when, when we have these preferences, we have these convictions? How do we do that? Well, let me say this. The jar is not about uniformity. That's what I love about our church. See, if we were about uniformity, we would go around and we'd tell everybody, well, this is what you should believe, this is, what, this is how it should be. And you know what ha- happens to churches over a long period of time when they are about uniformity? They die. They die. Every one of us is wired differently in the image of God. Every one of us has a different story. Every one of us has something that we can offer here to the church. And each of us are at different places on the spiritual spectrum. Some of you are more mature in your faith. It doesn't necessarily mean you've been here longer or less. You're just more mature. You've surrendered more of your life to Christ than others of you. You're learning how to do that. But the key to everything, folks, is the essentials, not the preferences. Let me say this. What do you think heaven's going to be about? The essentials. It's not going to be about preferences and convictions, it won't be. Heaven is going to be about the essentials. And while we're here on earth, we should do a dress rehearsal for what is going to be in heaven. Because that's what, that's what this is. You realize, folks. You know, I've, I've shared this many times before. Your time here on earth is like one grain of sand. Your time in heaven is all the other grains of sand on the earth. This is just a dress rehearsal for the big show. And in the big show, it's going to be all about Jesus. It's going to be like all about Jesus. That's who it's going to be about. In fact, Paul speaks to this when he writes to Rome. He says this about people. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He actually takes two chapters in Romans chapter 14 and 15, and he basically focuses on the fact that there are some people whose faith is weak and there are some people whose faith is strong. And people who have a weak faith sometimes they have a struggle to understand the freedom that they have in Christ and Christ alone. And the reason that he was writing this is because there were some people, remember I said earlier on, that were pagan worshipping people in Corinth, and they would come, and it happened in Rome too, they were all worshipping these pagan gods. And they would eat food. And they remember going into this temple and sacrificing food. And now that they came to Christ, they couldn't do that anymore. Because they remembered that there were temple prostitutes and there was all this debauchery and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, I just can't do that anymore. But there were some people in the church at that time who were like, get over it. Dude, you're free in Christ now. Why can't you be like us? Why can't you be more like me in this freedom? And this is what they were doing. You had some believers that were pushing away others. And they were actually becoming an obstacle. They were becoming a stumbling block for other believers in Christ. And Paul's saying, that's not okay. It's not okay. He's telling them to, if you're going to be strong in your faith, accept people. Welcome them. Don't get caught up in useless conversations or disputable matters. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. One day after church, I was all done, and a guy came up to me. He was very new to uh, church and God, the whole thing, and he came up to me. He said, Pastor, I've got a gift for you, and it was all wrapped up. And so I unwrapped it, and... uh, This is what I thought I would see, but that's not what I saw. This is what I saw. It'll come up. You know what this person did? They took a DVD that they rented, and then they made a DVD that they gave to me. And I had this big old stack of all of these, and the person was very clear to be like, now I want you to know they're all G and PG. I'm like, Okay, and they're all illegal too. But uh... now listen, I didn't say that though. You know what I did? I said, thank you. Now I could have done this. I could just been oh, I can't. Do you know this is illegal? You are a bad person. This is wrong. You could go to jail for it. This is Ah, (laughs) horrible.
1: You
0: know what I did? I took him. I said, thank you. I took him home. I threw him in the trash. Now, here's the cool thing. A few years later, same guy, gets baptized. He becomes convicted of what he was doing and he doesn't do it anymore. But this is what I know. This is what I know to the core of my being. If I would have went off on him on that particular thing at that time, he would have walked away from God. He's a stubborn guy. He wouldn't have had any idea whatsoever of what that meant because that wasn't a a conviction for him. You know, there are things that are actually in this Bible that are very important, but there's a lot of stuff that's not in here. For example, how much internet should your kids be on each day? Um, Let me ask another one. How old should a child be before they get a cell phone? I've seen people rip on someone who got their kid a cell phone when they were younger and just like, oh, you're a horrible parent, I'd never do And then other people are like, they don't get their cell phone until they're like way in their teens and they're like, dude, welcome to the 20th century or the 21st century. There, there's nothing for that in Scripture. Um, what kind of music is appropriate for teenagers to listen to? I always laugh at that one because my uh, parents let my sister listen to Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Oz, oh, and I know there are people in the church. They thought they were the worst parents in the world. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying there's nothing in Scripture that tells us what we should do with that. What's the appropriate curfew? Ten o'clock? Eleven o'clock? Midnight? As parents, all of us have different preferences, different convictions, ideas. But sometimes what happens is we'll go, you know what, you should be doing what I'm doing. You should raise your kids the way that I am raising mine. But let me ask you, how's that sound to a new mom who's going through teenage years for the first time? How's that sound to a new dad who's actually trying to put it all together, but it's just hard? All of a sudden, it creates a stumbling block and it makes it feel much more judgmental than just saying. No, let's just focus on the essentials. Those other things that don't matter, we've got to accept one another. Don't be a stumbling block. Romans. 14:13 13 says this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. In middle school, I ran track as well, but I didn't run long distances because I was smart. And I just ran short distances. And my race was the hundred meter hurdles. And this is the thing there is a big difference between the 100 meter dash and the 100 meter hurdles. Because every 10 yards, you have a hurdle that you have as a stumbling block in front of you. Folks, as we interpret Scripture itself, let's not be a hurdle for somebody else. You don't... Want to do anything, do you? That will make a person trip or fall or crash into the hurdle? Don't be a hurdle. Don't be a barrier. Don't be a person who pushes people away and all of a sudden their hands are no longer open to God, but they're closed because of something you said, something you did. I mean, let's just make up our minds. Can we do that today? Let's just make up our mind as the church called the jar. Let's just make up our mind and say this. We are going to focus on Jesus and the essentials. We will not be a community that creates barriers and stumbling blocks to people trying to feel welcomed and accepted in this place. Then Paul speaks to those who are Christ-centered who are strong in their faith. He says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Some people, folks, are not free yet. They're still making DVDs. And they've created their own barriers, their own stumbling blocks. And we need to sit with them, hear them, be patient with them, and try not to please ourselves. Folks, do you know how you please yourselves? You want to be right. I want to try to be right. You're wrong. I'm right. One time, uh, I had officiated at a wedding, and after the wedding, I was standing at the back door. This naturally wasn't our church, you know. Not too many people go, hey, I'd like to have a wedding in the gym. Uh... But all of a sudden, this lady walks up to me, and she puts her finger in my face, and she starts ripping me up one side and down the other about my interpretation of this scripture, and that uh, this is not of God, and on and on and on, and she's just like ripping me big time. And I'm thinking, as I'm listening to this woman, I'm thinking, this is not right. She is so way off on God. Other people are around listening to this. This is bad. Now, I want you to know, I wanted to go off on this woman. I've got a Masters of Divinity. In other words, I'm divine and you're not. And I was really, really close to just like, Ripping her a new one. And then all of a sudden, I got this prompting from the Holy Spirit that said, You're at a wedding. You're in a church. You don't even know this person. What are you thinking? And then I thought... This amazing person. And you know why they're amazing? Because they were created in the image of God. And I bet that person has the essentials. Now they're out of whack. I mean like wiggity-wiggity-whack. When it comes to their preferences and their convictions, they're out of whack. But, They've got the essentials. And it's not the gospel, folks. It's not the gospel. For me, to try to get big and bear over them because intellectually, maybe I have a little bit more knowledge. The gospel, the good news... Paul finally gives us what it means in Romans 15, 7 when he says this. Accept one another just as Christ. What's it say? Accepted Accepted who? Accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Folks, the way that you accept one another, the way you accept people in this church, the way that you accept people in this gym is worship to God. Did you realize that as much as you singing the songs, raising your hand, being whatever, or you listening to this teaching, that worship to God honestly is just as much how you accept the person that you disagree with when it comes to their preferences or their convictions. And guess what? If you can't accept that person, guess what? You're not worshiping God. You're not. You're not. And what you're saying is this. God, I know that you accept me, but I don't want to accept that person. God, I know you accept me. I know that you do accept that other person, but I'm not going to accept that other person. So Paul's looking at the church and he's saying, do you understand the good news? Do you get the essential? God has accepted you and has given an invitation for you to accept other people no matter where they are on the spiritual continuum. You know what I've learned? That people who really have the essentials, I love being around those people. Because when they have the essentials, they're not worried about anything else. That's that's where it is and they're deep with Jesus and they live oriented lives where they're loving Christ, they're imitating Christ. They are honoring Christ in all that they say and do. There's something compelling about their life that people actually are attracted to them. And once they get connected to them, they're like, man, I want to be like that person. I want to be like that person. It is my hope and prayer, wherever you work, when you walk into your workplace, that people are looking at you and going, man, I want to be like them. Because you're honoring Christ in ways. And if you're not, I guarantee you, your co-workers, you know what they're saying? They're fakes. They're phonies. Folks, I'm asking you today. Will you just make up your mind? Not to put any obstacle, no stumbling block before someone in our church or any church. I'm not above begging. Please, please, don't do this. Please don't do this. It it doesn't help the kingdom. If they said yes to the essentials, don't let their convictions or their preferences have a stumbling block. Don't be the person who says, it's Jesus plus my conviction. It's Jesus plus my preferences. Be the kind of person that says, it's Jesus only. Jesus only. Jesus plus nothing. I mean, let's make a big deal about the essentials. But not the convictions, not the preferences. Amen? So that's a challenge for all of us who are here today who are Christ followers. Some of you, though, you're here today, and if truth be known, you're not. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you got dragged in here. Someone's like, You've got to come. And you're like, Oh, just to get them to shut up, I'll come, you know? And maybe you walked in here, though, honestly, you've got a heavy burden in your life right now, and you've got some regret from your past, and you've got some pain that you're experiencing right now. You're in so much pain right now, and it all looks different, but you're going through something. And maybe one time you tried church, and you tried to do it, but it didn't work. And so now you're here, and you've drifted a little bit, but now you're back. And if someone were to ask you, why are you here? Why are you here? If someone were to ask me, why am I here? This is what I would tell them. I would say, I'm here because a guy by the name of Larry invested in my life. And one day he looked to me when we were at a football game and he said, "Chris, if you will give your life to Christ, you'll never be alone again." And as a 12-year-old, I felt so alone. And he and my parents, they gave me the essentials And the trajectory of my life totally changed because of that. Folks, I was 12. I had no idea about convictions. I had no idea about preferences. But that experience changed my life. Folks, today, if you don't really know what the essentials are in the Christian faith, but you want a relationship with Jesus, you're like, I really do want this. Then it just takes a decision. A decision where you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. And then when you follow him, he says, this is what the essentials are. That Jesus died for you and for all of your sins, past, present, and future. That Jesus was buried. That he rose again. And that he appeared. And so if you're at a point today where you're like, I'm ready to do that. There was a card that was in your program when you walked in. And you can just fill your name out, your email, maybe date it. Say, this is the day that I focused on the essentials. And, you know, I was praying about it today. Maybe for some of you, you need to reaffirm your faith in these essentials. Now, you've gotten maybe whacked out on convictions and preferences, but man, I do want it to be about Jesus and only him. And so in the same way, you might fill that out, date it, and when you're done, just put it underneath your chair and we'll pick it up. So if you want to say today, I believe in you, I receive you, Jesus Christ, as the forgiver of my life, the leader of my life, just sign it, date it, Put it under your chair. And today, folks, would be a new day. It would be the best day. It would be a day that you'd walk through life. And you wouldn't carry anything anymore. You'd be free. So Derek's going to lead us in a song, and this is how we're going to close. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just take a moment to think about that. Am I a person about the essentials? And if today is like your first day and you're like, man, that's it. When the song is being played, maybe it's in the first verse, maybe it's in the bridge, maybe it's somewhere else, that you would just stand. And... For others of you, maybe it's reaffirming that, man, I do want it to be about Jesus. And you would stand wherever that's at. When you're ready, just when the Spirit prompts you, when you feel a whisper, that you would take a stand for Jesus.
1: Sweet. Jesus Christ, my sanity. Sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. It's just
0: If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, these folks would love to pray with you. Just come up. They'll be on each side here. And uh, let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your spirit that moved in this place today. We thank you that when The time came for you to send your one and only son to planet Earth. You didn't hold back. And God, you saw all of the sin in my life, how messed up I am. And you said, I'll go to the cross for him. And I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you would personalize that for every single person. If they were the only person on planet Earth, you would have died just for them because you love them that much. God, help us this week to focus on the essentials, to focus on you. Help us not to be a stumbling block or an obstacle or a hurdle for anyone else. And may people see within us then. You. And they would be drawn to you. I pray this for Christ's name. In his sake. To him be the glory and honor. In all things today. Amen. Hey, let's give a-